Hello and welcome to Cutting to the Void in the Post-Truth Apocalypse. I'm Ben and as always I'm hanging out with Mike. Hello. Claire. Hey. And Pete. Hola. Oh finally, you fucking remember to say something. <laughs> well done. Well done. Your mastery of foreign languages continues to amaze and confound us simultaneously. Once again though, I had completely forgotten then. <laughs> oh shit. Oh, I haven't done Spanish yet. How did I know? Today, we're bringing to you the Waco Siege. We're jumping on the bandwagon, it's the 30th anniversary. 30th? 30th anniversary, so I was 10. I don't remember it at all. I've got no, I had no recollection of this whatsoever. I'd never even heard of it until I saw a documentary a few years back. I vaguely remember something. Remember the name, the name sticks out. There's a little Waco, it's, it's different, it's a bit weird. Uh, uh, that name rings a bell, but I don't why, really... Why do you say Waco and not Wacko? Wacko would be a K, I imagine. Oh. There you go, boom. <laughs> like Wacko Jacko. Wacko Jacko. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really know much about it until I watched the documentary on Friday. But, yeah. Well, all right. Well, we bring to you a bit of ambulance chasing, because there's nothing wrong with chasing an ambulance, the shameless listens. So before we get into it, let's thank some new and returning listeners. Who we got this week? Start somewhere in the bottom. Austin in Minnesota. Ryder in Saudi Arabia. Riyadh, I think. Riyadh. Oh, see, I spoke Arabic the other week and we've got an Arabic lister. There you go. Just proves that it's working. All right. Might be a British. Might be an expat. Salam alaikum. He's just gone, what? No, he hasn't. Wensbury in the UK. Phoenix, Arizona. Brussels in Belgium. Belo Horizonte in Brazil. Mm. Exotic. Kel- How do you say that? Kelowna in C- Canada. I'll go with that. Kelowna. Sandy in the UK. Stephen is in the UK. Bengaluru, India. Haiti in Missouri. Fort Morgan in Colorado. Boardman, Oregon. Frankfurt, and Maine in Germany. Ashburn, Virginia in the States. And Guadalajara, Spain. I Top of the list. Can I just say, Sandy sounds like a lovely place. It's in the UK though, so I guarantee it's nothing like the name. It's got them ra- rocky beaches that are just <laughs> if, sand. If it's on the beach, it's it just, will be rocky. It's just jagged rocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or it's completely landlocked. Yes, <laughs> yes. Pretty a golf course there. Before we go into the Waco siege itself, I think it's important we find out about the branch, this branch of the Branch Davidians, which is the Seventh-day Adventists. I suppose who Dave was. Who David Koresh was, who was the leader of this particular cult. Long before he became the prophet and leader of the Branch Davidians. I say prophet because he thought he was the second coming of Christ. Yep, direct line to God. Yeah. He literally thought he was the Messiah, didn't he? Mm-hmm. It's impressive. That level of narcissism is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> You're not far off that. It's all for comedic effect. Or is it? <laughs> when filming, we can, we can understand that, but when you're doing it like all the time anyway, it's like, well, come on. <laughs> Don't talk that much about invading France. <laughs> so David Goresh was just a boy. He was born Vernon Howell to a teenage mother in 1959. So it wasn't even his fucking name. He changed it later on. He's named for his granddad who basically shunned him because his mum was a teenage mother. It's 1959 and you've got a teenage mum. Unwed teenage mum. 
Koresh claimed he had memorised both the New and Old Testaments of the Bible by the time he was 18 years old. God, he needed to go to life, surely. <laughs> Brainwashed from an early age, wasn't he? Or he was just lying. He was known for being able to memorise parts of mm. the Bible, certainly. Whether or not he knew both or all of it, I don't know. To be fair, he was also known for lying. Very true. <laughs> he claimed that when he was a child, God had spoken to him and said, You're the Chosen One, you are my Messiah. That's quoting Mary Garofolo, who covered the events at Waco for the news programme, A Current Affair. If someone said that to me, I'd be like, fuck off, I don't want that kind of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so if God literally appeared to you right now and said, Mike, I know you like getting God jobs from grey aliens, but you're the new messiah. Mm-hmm. You'd go, oh, I don't want that. Of course, man. Fucking that's a lot of responsibility, isn't it? Come on. I mean, like, what magical powers do I get? Water into wine would be handy. Just want to fly. There's no magical powers. You're probably just going to do a lot of a lot of suffering. Well, if I can't fly, then it's a no deal. Sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that that'd, no. be my, that'd be my my take on. You just get to wander around the planet and wearing a loincloth. Can I walk on water at least? Yeah, I can. All right then. <laughs> well, that make travel easier. Well, yeah, that's it. I'll just I can do it well. I'm not going to run or jog, but walk over to France. <laughs> 20 odd miles take you a few hours like you know yes yeah, you can do it in a day can you eat piss easy bit of a trek but you can do it if you walk on water unless you get him taken out by a freak wave There's no or a shark there's <laughs> no sharks on the channel maybe if you turns I wouldn't do it barefoot <laughs> we do have sharks I'm the messiah sharks don't bother me I will like I will like commune with them and they, they That's will, Aquaman. And they yeah, will you're not allow, Aquaman. And they will allow me to surf on their backs. You're not Aquaman. <laughs> I'm Jesus basically. He's, Jesus was not he did not have the powers of Aquaman. <laughs> How do you know? You're it's right. nowhere in the Bible that says Jesus has the powers of Aquaman. If anything, well, he was know. against the fish, he fucking threw loads and never bucket. Exactly. That's an Aquaman power if I if I haven't fucking heard of one ever in my life. Jesus he, was that he Aquaman. He made fucking fish appear. Maybe he was. That's an Aquaman <laughs> trait, that is. Yeah. You know what, he might have a point. <laughs> yeah, Maybe be. we should all start praying to Jason Momoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure Claire would enjoy that one. <laughs> He's a bit of a beast, isn't he? <laughs> is that, is that, he's a bit of a beast. I don't know, Mike, what, what you're saying. <laughs> I wouldn't say no. <laughs> So former Davidian David Bunn said when he first met Koresh in the summer of 1981, he thought that Koresh seemed lost. He was kind of a drifter. He had a car that he was driving and he said the Lord gave it to him. Uh He was a very kind of dishevelled guy. He was poor, obviously. He didn't have a job, or at least a regular job. By 1983, Koresh had joined a religious sect that called themselves the Branch Davidians, a splinter group of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, founded by former Seventh-day Adventist Victor Huytef in 1934. Koresh fell under the tutelage of Lois Rosen, who took over leadership along with her husband, Benjamin Rosen, from Hootleff after his death in 55. One of the things they'd been a branch of Indian was that you're supposed to separate yourself from the world. The world is the sins, the flesh, and the desires of the world, and you're supposed to be spiritual. What is it with all these cults, right, that make you completely, like, alienate yourself from the rest of society? Because they can control you, that's Yeah, right. and if you're looking at Facebook every night, you're going to realise there's people having a better time than you, well, and you're going to become disillusioned and leave. Yeah, but how do people not fucking realise straight off the bat, like, oh, hold on. 
Why am I being completely shrouded over everything in the world? Mm. Why, well, that's how courts work. Yeah. Well, it's it's softly, softly, isn't it? You know, they don't just. You know, they sort of draw you in. I suppose it does take a particular kind of person to be drawn in by it as well, doesn't it? Let's face it. You've got to be a follower, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. You know, you've got to be a bit simple. Let's face it. You've got to be a follower by personality, haven't you? You can't be a. You just want someone to tell you what to do all the time. Yeah. But it's kind of hard to separate yourself from the world when you're in the world. It's what I don't get, like, but. I can understand, like, if you're born into it and you know nothing else, fair dingums. But eventually, that's what you get, isn't it? It's not a, well, it's yeah. a one, it's not a one-shot deal. You want this to let you want this to be just second. By the time that second and third generations come through, they're completely brainwashed to you, aren't they? But that's no excuse for the 30, 40 families that lived in this commune that were all of the age no. of. 30, and that's and, you, yeah, you know and I mean? you're right. And some of the rules that they imposed. Let's uh, take take the big one. <laughs> yeah. Right, you can't you can't have sex with your wife anymore. But I can. But I can. <laughs> I was only there's only David Koresh fucking in this cult. What? Not this point, but yeah. No, yeah. Right. When we as we progress, remember the point of the siege. Only Koresh is fucking. Right. No one else is fucking, and he's fucking everybody's wife and possibly, probably the children. Possibly well. children too. More than likely. I think probably. I think probably. More than likely. If not children per se, what they would have deemed like a the the right age for a lady. Twelve. 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 The one the one cult the one woman who was in the in the cult on the documentary on Netflix defended Koresh's sleeping with young girls, saying that that they were twelve and that's when you become a woman. That's right, yeah. Doesn't matter what law there is, it's God's law that you're 12 and you're a woman. Disgusting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Fucking sick bastards. Yeah, and then let's face it, things are tough at this school. You know, there's no running water, heat or electricity, and the Bible study three times a day. Oh, joy. For six hours of time. Um, <laughs> Koresh, though, actually an accomplished guitar player. We'll give him that. You know, he, he started to do Bible study with guitars, which at least sounds a little bit more interesting. Bundy was a good guitarist as well. Was he Bundy? Bundy was a he was a bit of a musician as well. Was it Bundy? No, not Bundy. The other one, the one with the fucking crosses on his head. Manson. Manson. Swastika. Yeah. Yeah, Manson. Uh, the Beach Man- Boys covered one of Charlie Manson yeah. songs and so did Guns and Roses. Manson was they, quite. Yeah. A, yeah, he was quite. A, Mate, he was quite an artist, really. They were all fucking off their tits together. We'll get to do a Charles Manson episode one day. There's an interesting film documentary kind of thing of him on Netflix. I watched it about the same time I watched this Waco because yeah. it, it kind of triggered that for me. And it kind of, you know, and it shows that you're like, oh, you might like this. I thought, oh, that'd be interesting because quite interesting, so it'd be worth a watch mm, for anybody really. I can't remember what it's called though, but it's it's a Charles Manson thing on Netflix. I think it was Netflix. Fair enough. Anyway. You know when he, the, the old lady was in charge of this cult, we mentioned her a second ago. Hmm? The old lady was running the cult when yeah. Koresh got there. She was like 68. Do you know what he did to her? Booked her. Yeah. To get power. He was banging her to get power. She left the, th- the cult to him, right? Her son turns up and he's like, nah, 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 Dave, this, this, this is mine now. This is my cult. This is my cult now. You're you just you were just shagging my mum. <laughs> right? They come. He goes away. Koresh goes away. Comes back with a bunch of followers. 
with arm to the teeth. They have a gun battle. Koresha, he shoots the son through the hand. He never comes back. <laughs> Koresha actually goes to court over it, gets away with it. <laughs> Madness, isn't it? Well, in 1990, Vernon Howell changed his name to David Koresh, and two years later he'd taken over the group, encouraging the use of guns and preaching an ever-increasing brand of apocalyptic prophecy. He believed the group would someday be under attack by the US government and began stockpiling guns and ammunition. Well, he wasn't wrong, was he? <laughs> he was yeah, but that's what brought them on! <laughs> You know, he's got M60 machine guns they've made. They, they, they've got the parts. They've, made them, they've got parts to change the semi-automatic AR-15s into fully automatic ones. It was when they found out he had a 50 cal. They've got a Barrett, he's got a Barrett 50 cal sniper rifle. Grenades. Really they've got grenades. They've been making grenades. They've been making and modifying guns. So they're only one step away from being a terrorist organisation. Well, that, that's basically... Clear. That's what they were. 1.6 million rounds of ammunition, Claire. At least. They were preparing for something. He was preparing for something. His followers were completely unaware, I'm pretty sure. Most of them, anyway. But he was preparing for something at some point. Well, the idea is that at the end times, they would go up in, in, in... They would go up to heaven, and he would return, because he's Christ... Leading Jesus' army. Leading Jesus' army. And his followers, I presume, would need the ammunition and the guns. Obviously, he'd know straight away, Oh, I know where there's a stash. There you go. Fucking hell. But in reality, he had a plan, obviously, for something completely different. It's a possibility. Former followers said Koresh truly believed he was on a mission from God and he was the only one who could interpret the Bible and its true meanings for the masses. His message changed over the years because he was always looking for the next big thing to teach that would shock people into listening to him. It was important for Koresh to isolate the group from the world because the world is, is an influence that is constantly pulling and distracting you from the message. So, yeah, that's why they do it. You, you don't yeah. want someone going... I mean, you know, you've got to, you've got to have money coming in. I mean, one of the guys was the mailman, wasn't he? Mm. So I presume some of them had jobs to provide some kind of income. But that was probably the extent that they interacted with the world, I imagine. Yeah, you got to work, come back. Mm. Former followers said women had to wear long blouses and no makeup or jewellery could be worn. They said Koresh would tell them where to sleep and what food they could eat. Sugar, processed flour and dairy products were forbidden. Sheila Martin, who moved to the compound with her husband and their five children in 1988, said, It was fun as long as we were being obedient. <laughs> if we weren't being obedient in the sense of, like, I went to the store and bought something that, you know, was being selfish, he would always let us know it wasn't right and we shouldn't have done it. And many times it was in front of everybody. If you were a kid, you used to get paddled by him. You know, that's a bit of grooming, can't you? Yeah. Former followers said discipline was constantly administered. Joanne Velega, who was six years old when she left the compound, said she remembers being hit regularly as a kid. Being disciplined was like a 24-7 thing. You're raised with just fear. Vega said Koresh constantly told them the end of the world was coming and they were the chosen people to survive because David was the son of God. She said they were taught to prepare for war and that the end times, as predicted in the book of Revelation, were near. So, you don't trust the government because they're coming to stop you doing this. Yep, you don't trust the world because it's sinful. You've got a lot of guns, you've got the Messiah with you. Who they were all 100% devoted to. Yep. 
Yeah. It's God, isn't it? They're doing God's work. They're going to heaven, they're going to be rewarded. It doesn't matter what happens to them in this life. Imagine having that, you know, it's powerful fucking soldiers, aren't they? Of course. They're going to die for you, die for the cause. And them kids are going to get more brainwashed. Yeah. It's powerful belief, isn't it? It's incredible, really. In a, in a, in a, the world superpower at the time, 1993. Fucking hell. It's never been a cult for, like, good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? Like, all, all the cults that these people are, like, 100% brainwashed, devoted... There's never like anyone that's there's, there's never one that's good. They're always a bit fucked up one way or another. They are sleep it's the way you look at it, though, isn't or it? Or they want to kill everyone, or they want to fucking all drink some Kool Aid. They think they're doing good. Flavoured, whatever. But <laughs> they think they're doing the right thing. This is what God wants. This well, is God's plan. No, my point I'm is, a good person. I'm not, you know. I'm the Messiah. I'm sacrificing He's my life. He's not the Messiah, but he was a very <laughs> naughty boy. But yeah. they're never very. They're never good, are they? Let's face it. They may think they're good, but why has there never been one that they think they're good and they actually are good? Like walk around like, I don't know, doing nice things. Because power corrupts and, and nothing corrupts like absolute power. Absolute yeah. power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's it. Obviously, yeah, I, It probably I'm, starts off with good intentions. Yeah. I mean, unless you're like me, you could read it in. Obviously, I'm not classing Scientology in this because... They, they do amazing things to the, for the world. For my, <laughs> that's one cult that I, <laughs> I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> Former followers of Koresh would separate families from each other. Bruce Perry told ABC News if Koresh thought a mother and a child had a tighter bond than between him and the child, then Koresh would tell the parents you haven't been disciplining them, disciplining them adequately, so I'm going to have this mother raise your kids. <laughs> Imagine that. Oh shit! <laughs> hilarious. I'll be questioning why I'm why I'm still living there. <laughs> but this guy's a son of God. He's a prophet. Yeah. You got to do what he says. It's God's will. Religion, man. Fuck it. <laughs> what it does to people. I did mention it briefly earlier. Koresh claimed all marriages in the group were dissolved, and all the women would be his wives. Even though he's technically legally married to one woman, but no, he's 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 fucking everybody. What's his justification of this, Ben? Oh, David Koresh's justification of taking all the women for himself was theological. He's the one that had the power. He's the one that had the authority to give the seed. <laughs> Adding that if he had sex with a woman, Koresh would say that she was in the house of David. Well, the, the girls used to quite look forward to yeah. it. They, they, they'd feel honoured by it. Of course. They? One woman describes how she felt that she had a private moment with God. Yeah. This is it, and that's that is what they believed. Isn't yeah. it? So this was an they honor. genuinely were. If if he went and pulled them over and sit by him at dinner or something, they'd be like, "Yeah, I <laughs> love you tonight with Jesus." I mean, they but, were tittering like schoolgirls. But they were genuinely like loved it. So it's just fucked up, isn't it? They were so honoured that he he'd chosen them for the night. Never. <laughs> Oh, shit. What are your thoughts so far? And he wouldn't just do it with the wives, he'd do it with the children and the wives at the same time. Well, at first I was thinking, like, that's gross. (laughs) (laughs) At first I was thinking, you know, it's a bit Scientology, but then now it's just gone to a different level, hasn't it? It's a bit... Yeah, well, this this is what I was saying before. Like, cults, they all kind of... doesn't matter what the cult is, whether it's Scientology, Mormonism, fucking... 
some of these bloody any religion really it's well, all yeah. a, it's all a glorified cult yeah. isn't it? let's face it except the Jedi cult <laughs> no yeah. the Jedi are definitely a cult <laughs> shit I didn't even say it was a cult yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah you did the I Jedi religion is not a cult it is a cult it's very much a cult they abduct children and take them away from their parents <laughs> to brainwash them and indoctrinate them into their way of thinking yeah it's very much a cult <laughs> The fact you get a to laser protect sword. The universe is it's all for, for good. The fact, but is it? It's their good. <laughs> My point was though, they all, they're all a muchness of a muchness. They're mm. all very similar. They all ha- they all have very similar principles. They all have very similar rules. The only ones I can really think of that have never gone down that path, Church of England, for instance. It is a religion, but it's Even a very in the loose... militant branch of the Church of England. <laughs> it's a very loose religion, isn't it? Let's face it, it is, yeah. It's one of the loosest going. Like, but there, there's like Catholic and there are many, many different Christian sects of religion like this. Apparently. Yeah, we've only got Church of England Henry the Eighth wanted to divorce. That's the beautiful yeah. thing about it. Well, I think there's a scale of extremism. Well, it's got to be, hasn't there? Being like totally extreme. Yeah. And then just like a loose sort of religion. You know, religious following at the other other end yeah. of the scale, isn't it? But it is just funny, isn't it? All these cults, they all act very, very similarly. Well, it's all drawn off the same thing, isn't it? It's, mm. you know, it's definitely a cult because the quote Buns who was in the sect, he said, you know, it's I'll call it a cult. That's what it was. It's people doing things they wouldn't normally do, like giving up their wives and letting their children have sex with adults, which is crazy. But that's what you do when you're in a cult. He says, someone says they have authority and then impose upon your rules and restrictions and expectations and it gets down into your soul. It really screws you. They're victims, aren't they? Of course they are. The thing is, it's, it's these narcissistic fucking, I don't know, uh, sociopath fucking... Definitely games. narcissists, usually with some kind of other mental illness, isn't it? Narcissism is definitely in there. Yeah, yeah. Right. God complex. <laughs> and they prey upon the... The, the, weak, the, the weak-willed is a way to put it, I suppose. Like people that aren't quite as savvy as the general population, obviously. And Claire, what are you going to say? You're a mental health they're, expert. They're predators, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. And the, they are preying on. Well, that's what a predator yeah. does, isn't it? Preying on the weak and the broken people. And exactly. does that mean that David Koresh could see an infrared? Uh, Potentially, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Want some candy? <laughs> no, he can't see very much, to be fair, because he died about thirty years ago. Well, that's true. So, yeah, he probably saw a lot of red when he was dying. Mm. <laughs> yeah. A lot of red. Yeah, for the few moments that he lasted. Well, as you can imagine, he kind of went to shit, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's one way. <laughs> that, that, I was going to say, in a manner of speaking, yes. <laughs> if you don't know what happened. This is the first time you learn about it. Yeah, it went to shit. It went to shit. It's a 51-day standoff. 51 days. Seven fucking weeks. And we have the timeline. So between late February and April 1993, police officials were engaged in a bloody standoff with David Koresh at his Branch Davidian compound near Waco, Texas. What began as a search and arrest warrant turned into what is the biggest gunfight to happen on American soil since the Civil War. Mad that in it to think. That's yeah. the biggest gunfight, the most ammunition so they expelled. In, they went in for what? Well, well, in the May in May of nineteen ninety two, 
the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, the ATF, launches an investigation of David Koresh and the branch divisions on the basis that Koresh and his court group were involved in the illegal manufacturing and possession of machine guns and destructive devices, including bombs and grenades. The ATF's investigation found the group possessed 136 firearms, including assault rifles and handguns, 700 plus magazines for those firearms. This says 200,000 plus rounds. I've heard 1.3 million rounds recently. The documentary said, said it was within the million, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, this was the first investigation. Yeah, this is what they initially thought. Well, that's what they thought they had, yeah, that's yeah. true. 110 upper and lower receivers for AR-15 and M-16 rifles. Now, at this point, is that illegal in in Texas to have them guns? I'd imagine the receivers, because you're turning them into fully automatic weapons with those. Yeah, that's the point where it becomes illegal, isn't it? Yeah. And the grenade launchers. I don't think they can have grenade launchers. <laughs> I don't think they can have M203 grenade launchers under the bowels, no. 400 plus empty M31 rifle grenades along with black powder and other explosive chemicals. That's what the ATF reported. How did they manage to get all that without uh, the authorities oh. realising? Well, I suppose it's America, it's America, isn't it? Yeah, I'm... They were mail ordering <laughs> stuff, they were being quite creative. Mm. Well, we're very naive we here are. in the UK on we things are. like that, though, because in America, you, you can get a gun. <laughs> when you open a bank account. Yeah, <laughs> let's face it. <laughs> they give you a free gun. And 30 years ago... It's that is mental, isn't it? <laughs> the, the gun laws have been tightened massively in the past 30 years, so you can imagine it's probably... probably Actually, it's been loosened. Depleted uranium was probably quite easily gettable 30 years ago if you you're wanted. forgetting the main thing here is you could go to a gun show and buy a pay double the price yeah. but get something without any background check whatsoever and I believe at some point semi-automatics were banned and then they were unbanned later fully automatics semi semi right you've got a what semi <laughs> <laughs> Wow, my son is talking guns, who'd have thought it? (laughs) Who'd have thunk it? Either way, they've got a fucking arsenal. Which which has piqued the interest of the ATF, let's face it. As part of their investigation, the ATF goes to interview former court members, inspect and interviewed a federal firearms dealer, and review documentation showing the purchase of large quantities of AR-15 rifles. With all this evidence, the ATF is granted a federal arrest and search warrant in February 1993 to arrest Koresh Koresh, and search the compound. ATF special agents from Dallas, Houston and the New Orleans Field Divisions are assigned to execute the federal warrants of the Branch Division compound on February 28th, 1993. Now... The press have been tipped off about this. So there's a journalist on his way out there, and he's ahead of the ATF. And he's lost. He can't find the, the compound. So mailman's driving along. He sort of waves at him, stops him, says, um, Hey, yeah, I'm a journalist. I've heard there's going to be a big ATF raid going around. It's some compound round here. Would you happen to know where that is? And Guess he says... Mailman was. Yeah, yeah, it's just down there and to the left kind of thing he's one of them he works for the mail service he then drives immediately to the compound to go and tell David Koresh they're going to get raided 
Because he had stuff. Yeah, but he hasn't got time to get get rid of everything, has he? No, no but he hasn't got, got time, time to, to get prepared, prepared though, has he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Could have gone very differently if that hadn't have happened. Yeah, because he wouldn't yeah. have been prepared. The Branch Davidians reportedly waited to ambush as the agents unloaded from their vehicles. And as the agents approached Koresh, who was standing outside on the porch, he retreats inside the house and gunfire brushes through the door. One agent is wounded. Now, the ATF claim that the Branch Davidians fired first. Could have been a shaky trigger finger. Could have been. As a result of this, all hell breaks loose. A two and a half hour gunfight. Constant. Two and a half hours, I mean. Yeah. They are climbing onto the roofs. The ATF agents trying to make yeah. entry into the house. They Some of them get inside. People are shot. At least six Branch Davidians die. There's more wounded. Four ATF agents die. 20 wounded. 20 wounded. And they have to literally... No, the, the Branch Davidians in the house are calling 911 saying what there's a load of agents shooting up a house uh, shooting up our compound we've got women and children here tell them to call it off that's recorded that's the the, the yeah. what's it called things are written down of a phone call transcription transcript that's the word i'm looking for that's the transcript and it's like well all right that's they have to negotiate. David Koresh has been an ass of the negotiations. Previously, he knows he sat on 1.3 million rounds of ammunition <laughs> and people prepared to die. Yep, and he's been waiting for this. He's been waiting for it, and he? Because you can't trust them federal, that federal government. I so, yeah. All these god people just start grabbing guns and firing on, like, they're trying to yeah. Jesus. Of course. That, that, they're that fucking mind warped. Yeah. They're ready to die for him. And they did die for him. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So four federal agents are dead. 20 wounded. It's like a scene from a battleground it really where is like a battle they've got like, they run out, all the ambulances in the county are there. They're taking wounded out on the bonnets of, of vans, of, of the press van for what? Well, you can see it. That Terminator scene, that Terminator 2 scene when they got, you know, maybe not the helicopter out, but <laughs> the chopper. But, yeah, all the police all around and With that. The, mm. in the um, office building. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They didn't have any miniguns, though. I know, yeah. Shame, well, could have I've helped I've got some out. artistic licence in there. But some of the, the, you can see this, it's in a documentary, it's all been filmed. Yeah, it was all filmed, that's the thing, there's news accounts, news crew are filming it. I mean, the, 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 oh, yeah, because they turned up, you know, yeah. first. What the fuck did the ATF tip off to the press? I don't understand that. Because the ATF... They're a supremely confident organisation at this point. They'd done a lot of raids and they'd never had a failure. So someone within the thing thought, ah, oh, make a bit of few, make a few quid here. Tell a journalist, or let it slip pissed. You know, never know, do you? No. Well, I suppose they wanted the, the, the good press from it, didn't they? Well, that's it. They thought it was going to be, you know... Well, we, well you, they've got to be. act. It's within their full rate, remit yeah. to act. I mean, for God's sake, they've got a mass, they've got a military-grade stockpile of ammunition and, and weapons. But as soon as they know that it's been leaked and they know the ATF are coming, that's it, then they should have... As soon as, literally, they pull up and see a press van there, they should have been fucking... No, but they knew that the reporter had told them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're prepared. I mean. At that point, you've got to think, 
Or maybe going in, storming in with the 1.6 no, well, million they, ammunition, grenades. People are going to die for the court. They, they did, apparently. No, didn't they didn't they? know that the. The ATF knew they'd been tipped off. Yeah, they did. The, yeah, soon they they, the, the big there. giveaway was the press van that was sat there. When they got oh. there, obviously they knew. But yet they should have probably held back. Well, they, they shouldn't have got in for the assault. The no. Once you, once you know that that's been tipped off, yeah. the best thing you could have done is turned around and fucked off and yeah. gone back three weeks yeah. later. Yeah. yeah. Get in when he's not expecting it. Exactly. Wait. Or, you know, or he's... But they, went in, gung, they went in Gungo, didn't they? Yeah, they, they thought this is, you know, like you say, they're, they're never in losses. Yeah, do. I know. <laughs> and they're like, you know... Shoot first, questions later. The footage it. is genuinely, like, it's graphic, Claire. Yeah, it it really is. I mean, there's people bleeding out. There's a dead body on the roof at one point. You can see it on the helicopter footage. The blood's dripping down off the roof. He's been shot. Yeah, you can see some blokes carrying dead police officers. Yeah, there's a body hanging out of the back of the van with its arms dangling, and the guy sort of, sort of puts the arm up, turns him over, kind of thing. Was there an investigation into, like, you know, the decisions made on the day? Of course there was. You know. Of course there was. Yeah. But as a result of this complete bungle, yeah. the FBI is named the lead agency in securing the branch divisions from their compound, and the hostage rescue team begins to conduct conversations with Koresh. The hostage rescue team, sadly, though, is split into two groups. You have the tactical side of things, who are the shooters, mm-hmm. the actual hostage rescue team who are the snipers, and the guys who would go in and take out key individuals. And you've got the negotiators. And you've got the negotiators. And neither side was talking to one another properly. Tattoo guys wanted to go storming in. Negotiators wanted to get the kids out, especially. Yeah. Because David Koresh was like, if they play my tapes on the TV, I'll let out the kids. So that's, yeah. what, they, that's what they arranged, wasn't it? And it just put it out on the TV and then it let a couple of kids go every hour. Yeah, that's a little bit later on. How is it, okay? Koresh has been shot as well, and he's taken it through and through to the side. That was in that first gunfight, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And the Koresh reveals that he was shot in the hip and wrist during the initial shootout. Michael Schroeder, a member of Branch Division, has been shot and killed as he and other uh, others attempted to penetrate a perimeter established by the ATF, the Department of Justice reports. Now, on the 1st of March, 1993, this is where the, the yeah. tapes come in. Negotiations begin and ten children are released from the compound. FBI agents in armoured vehicles are deployed around the compound's perimeter, agitating Koresh, who proclaims that at least twice that suicide is not being contemplated. Well, they say armoured vehicles. They were fucking tanks. Mm. But again, a bit later on that was. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was, yeah. This is, this is probably like Humvees uh, okay. at this point. Armoured Humvees. Day two, isn't it? So. Yeah. His phone lines are later cut, except for outgoing calls to the negotiators. Hmm. The following day on Tuesday, Koresh promised to leave the premises without engaging in further bloodshed if a tape that was broadcast by Dallas radio station KRLD. He says in the tape, I, David Koresh, agree upon the broadcast of this tape to come out peacefully with all the people immediately. The tape said Koresh did not exit or end the standoff peacefully. Two women who were later charged with murder due to the initial shootout and eight children were released early Tuesday with a recorded tape that would be played on air. Koresh broadcasted a sermon across various radio stations and claimed that guards had instructed him not to surrender. Now at that point, if you're the fucking head chap of the FBI, you're thinking, oh God, what can I do here? Well, you've got thinking, someone who's not going to... I'll tell you what you should be thinking. you got to take this guy out no matter what. Mm. Yeah. Are you advocating an assassination? He's yeah. dangerous. 
He's, he's putting people's lives at risk, children's lives. Uh, and that'll come into play later. If he'd, if he'd give that order out saying, look, get a shot, take him out. Mm. Yeah. Now, on March the 3rd, 1993, my 10th birthday, <laughs> the FBI drops murder charges against the two elder divisions who left the compound the previous day. Koresh admits to failing to surrender and claims he is now dealing with his father, to quote him. I.e. God. Right. Instead of the FBI's bureaucratic system of government. Later that evening, Koresh says the FBI would have to look at some of the pictures of the little ones that ended up perishing after armoured vehicles moved around the compound. Now on Thursday the 4th to Friday the 5th, negotiators carry on talking to him and nine-year-old Heather Jones leaves a compound wearing a note written by her mother that said that all of the adults would die after the children were out of the compound. Koresh, however, denies that he is contemplating suicide. The FBI concludes the divisions have got at least one year's supply of food. Proper preppers then, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this I suppose is what exactly you're right. They're preppers. Religious, fanatic preppers. Ironically, by prepping, they bought it on themselves. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> but there's prepping, and there's being, like, uber-prepped. Because <laughs> if, even if you are prepping, you've still got to stay within the limits of the law, haven't you? Well, that was their mistake, wasn't it? Well, yeah, with your, with your firearms and such, yeah. Food and that, you know, the, you can prep all you want, can't you? Oh, yeah, I'm just talking about the firearms, really, yeah. and the hand grenades. Yeah. On the 6th, the FBI say that they're getting frustrated to attempt to negotiate, to negotiate with Koresh. Negotiations continue. The FBI refuses to deliver milk to the children until more of them are released. Koresh reportedly tells the FBI that all of the remaining children are his biological descendants. On the 8th, it was Koresh reckoned that the initial, his wounds were healing. However, they got doctors to watch the tapes, didn't they, mm -hmm. of his wounds. And they were like, because he, he was having his bandages changed on the recordings. Yeah. And they were like, those are infected. He's probably got like a couple of months. And on Tuesday the 9th of March, Koresh says he would not communicate with negotiators after the electricity in the compound is cut off. It is eventually restored. Agencies on the ground notice windows, notice weapons in the windows and firing ports being placed on the windows. At this point the Barrett makes an appearance at the window and everyone's like, oh shit, 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 shit. Because mm. that's... You know, it's they haven't got nothing that can match that unless they bring in another. For some reason, they never did, did they? Thing is, it pierces armor. Yeah, when they get a person, chops him in half. Yeah, pretty much. It's it, yeah, they're that it's fucking vicious, aren't they? There's no body armor can withstand it, and it'll go through the arm of a Bradley fighting vehicle, which the FBI do draft in later. Yeah, and an a and a couple of Abrams A1 tanks, main battle tank, sixty tons. God, I can't see how getting one of them. You've got to take your hats off to him, haven't you? <laughs> well, you wonder where they got the Barrett from? Yeah. Must have been a gun show, that scenario. They're huge. Probably could have done with four or five of them, though. One's not not that effective. I it? guess he'll be getting the ammunition for it. I mean, it's all very well having it, but you've got to have a decent supply of rounds, haven't you? You've got to yeah. be able to fucking shoot the bastard as well. Well, that's the other thing. Because they're not easy to shoot because no. they're that fucking big. How would you do that quietly? 
you know. So on March the 10th, electricity is temporarily disconnected again. Hours of negotiations yield no progress until the Davidians promise to release Cathy Schroeder, a member of the Branch Davidians, on February March the 12th. And on that date, she's released from the compound and claims that no mass suicide would occur. She gets lured out because her child's gone out. Right. And she's One like, she's, they show them footage of the kids. They send her some tapes of the kids playing. And her little lad's lying on the floor, like really depressed. He wasn't happy, was he? Yeah. So she wanted to go out. So she they wanted manipulated to go out. her, didn't they? they were, mm? The negotiators manipulated her. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she was one of the, the big boys within the compound. She was one of Koresh's inner circle. Probably his wife as well. But one of his wives. So to get her out was a big thing. The problem was, they said, you won't be arrested, we promise. Then there's footage of her on the news. Getting arrested. Getting right. arrested and put in an orange boiler suit. So immediately, the FBI has broken its promise and Koresh kind of is like, no. No one else is coming out. No one else. arrest us and put us in prison, so no. That's another fuck-up they did. Yeah, that was a fuck-up. And it's a huge setback. And a lot of them changed their minds about coming out after that. Because obviously what Koresh is telling them that the government is evil and wants to stop them celebrating their religion and their right to bear arms. Mm -hmm. Two fundamental American truths. Yep. Which the country is built on, effectively. As long as that religion's, you know, Christianity... Well, you're meant to have freedom of religion, aren't you? Freedom to practice your religion. As long as it's Christianity. Yeah. Of some form. <laughs> True. They're the biggest persecuted majority in the country, Pete, didn't uh. you know? <laughs> they think they are. I know that much. Or some of them do. On Saturday, March 13th to Tuesday, March 16th, 1993, a member of the Davidians claims that the people inside the compound are cold. Koresh is informed his mother has retained attorneys to represent him and the FBI begins illuminating the compound with bright lights to disrupt sleep to put additional pressure on those inside and to increase the safety of the hostage rescue team. Members of the Davidian meet with federal agencies at the compound and the FBI's conversation with the Davidians amounted to 46 minutes. On the next day though he prevents another member of the Davidians from having face-to-face -face conversations with the police officials, the FBI then start to say, well, look, you know, we've got a loudspeaker. You can come out. We'll be treated fairly. Two come out, they're arrested. The other <laughs> comes out, arrested. Seven in total leave, and the FBI now begins playing loud music. So this is the psychological torture now. Torture? You've got the bright lights. Yeah. I can't remember which songs they were playing now. They were annoying ones. They were annoying ones. But this is the start of this, because you know, this went on to be used in Iraq, didn't it? Mm. For enhanced interrogation, they stick people in a room and play Metallica, stick Iraqis in a room and play Metallica's Black Album or Barn of the Dinosaur at them. And Iraqis never heard Metallica, it's probably fucking terrifying. Yeah. And Barn of the Dinosaur will be equally as terrifying for tw 24 hours a day on a loop until you crack because you can't sleep. It doesn't sound fun, does it? Nope. On the 23rd of March, another Davidian leaves the compound, can't handle it. And on March 24th, 1993, the FBI plays Tibetan chants and Christmas music in the wee hours of the morning. But that just angers Koresh, who discontinues negotiations. On Tuesday, the March 25th, 1993, Saturday to Saturday, March 27th, 1993, 
The FBI gives the Davidians multiple automatums, but there's no conversation with Koresh for three straight days. Well, you can't blame him, in a way. Surely, wouldn't he have enjoyed the Christmas songs? <laughs> like, been like birthday songs for him, wouldn't they? Yeah. They would, like, and Christ apparently was born in March. <laughs> it's an interesting one. I guess he's thinking of the blasphemy angle. Just the fact that it's annoying as, annoying as folk. Especially in March, you're not allowed to play Christmas songs. Oh, nice, you know, so they'd be playing like fucking Slade at him and things like that constantly. Yeah. I'd crack. I'd be there straight yeah. that compound. Yeah. On Sunday, March 28th, Koresh says he has no intention to die and that he's waiting on a word from God. He sends out a video of 19 children who appear tired but healthy. And on the Monday, the following day, the 29th, he meets with police officials for two hours in the afternoon. Now on Tuesday, March 30th to April 1st, 1993, there are two more meetings between Koresh and police officials. Two independent religion experts appear on Ron Engelman's talk show, interpreting the Book of Revelations as it relates to the standoff, and Koresh loves the Book of Revelations. It's at this point that the hostage rescue team sat in the garages behind the compound, about 250 yards away, watching, waiting for the order to go. To storm them. To storm it, yeah. They want to storm it. They're like, they're really... If the ATF are probably seen as bungling fucking cops by these guys, the hostage rescue... The FBI's hostage rescue team is America's premier hostage rescue team. It's a weird thing. You'd think, like, in this country, if the police can't do it, then we pass it go to the SAS. Like the Iranian embassy siege. The police weren't confident they could take everyone out without civilians dying, so they passed it up the chain to the military. You get the FBI has responsibility in the in America. They can hand over control to Delta Force, who do the hostage rescue as well. But the FBI would never do that unless they'd already failed once or twice. Mm. Mm. And they're all like your yeah, ex Navy SEALs and things like that, aren't they? They're like the hardcore. The Delta Force are basically the American equivalent of the SAS. Yeah. There's some weird rule about American forces being used on American soil. So that's whenever you see troops at an event, it's usually National Guard, because they're reservists. Ah. You know, very rare you see full-time American military on the American streets. Which is why they're always like, call the National Guard. Call the National Guard, that's why the movies is always called the National Guard. Well, they've got why a thousand, the Marines? They've got a thousand bases worldwide, so you know, they're a bit spread out, aren't they? <laughs> Maybe that's the reason all their soldiers are elsewhere. The American listeners can correct me on that, but I believe, I did look into mm. it, that I believe that is the reason why it's always the FBI. Mm. Yeah, one of the snipers actually has Koresh in his sights one night and he's been given no authority to fire. He and said, you could have ended it, it all his, right there, couldn't you? He said it was his biggest regret, wasn't mm. it? Not taking that opportunity. He, he said he'd have been in so much trouble for it, but yeah. he could have ended it then. And that would have been it, probably. No, all those people I don't understand why the order wasn't given. I, 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 you know what, you're right. I'd have, I, maybe it was, wasn't thought he was that daft to put his face in a window. The one thing you got to remember about Americans and tactics with things like that, especially in them days, 30 years ago, around that kind of time, you had the Gulf War and, and things like that, and not too far past you had Vietnam and all the other different 
wars that they'd been involved in and you hear about so many fucking stories that the one of them, I can't remember which, I think it was the Korean War or something like that. Yeah, that was in the 1950s. Uh, oh, it might, it might have been later. I, I genuinely can't remember what it was, what war it was, but it was one of them. And they, they were sent to invade a small island and basically they landed on the shore and went in communication wasn't 100% and they'd sent another platoon in from the other side and then typical American friendly fire typical American <laughs> shoot first questions later massive barrage of fucking shooting later most of both squadrons were dead and the island was completely uninhabited well and it was just but it was because of that that mentality mm. that they have it, yeah, it was like in Vietnam, they used to invade hills, get told to take hills, and then they'd be like, a day later, or we're retreating, the enemy would come back in, and then a week later, they'd have to take the same hill again. Yeah. It happened I over and over again. I think it might have been Vietnam, that happened, mm. I'm pretty sure. I heard about it when I was in the army, it was something we were taught, told about, like, you know, you kind of like getting taught all your histories and things like that, it was one of them. Whether there's 100% truth in it, I don't know. They do have a little bit of a reputation for friendly fire, don't they? Yeah, let's face it. There's nothing much very friendly about it. No, no, there isn't. <laughs> nothing friendly about it at all. But no. it just is a particular American thing. Mm. Well, most... We do love you, Americans. We do, there yeah. Was, there was parts It's not your psychopathic just, elites. Yeah, just the, just the, repu- <laughs> the psychopathic elites. <laughs> just the, the reputation of the American forces. They do tend to do a bit of friendly fire now and again. Well, I remember at stages through both of the Gulf War and war in Iraq and that, where there was times throughout the wars where you'd hear about deaths and they were blue on blue, friendly fire. And we, there was more people dying from friendly fire. At the start of the first Iraq war, they shot down one of our tornadoes. Yeah. Mate, first... That was Gulf, the first few days. Is like, the first Gulf War, there was an, like one of the Apache attack choppers sat about a mile out and I've seen video footage of it as well and it's fucking horrifying it, you hear that you hit it, it's all the recordings of it there's some American Apaches flying across the Bondu the desert whatever you'd want to call it and they see like a group of couple of vehicles and 30 odd blokes blah 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 and they just like right ready allowed to fire yeah yeah you can clear it to shoot so they shoot blow them up about 10 seconds after they've shot like the co-pilot of whatever just goes oh uh, oh, yeah they were they were british they were allies it's like what the Mm. fuck so if you'd have waited that 10 seconds instead of that whole fucking shoot first questions later bullshit because that is the way they play it i've worked with them and i've I've been around them like their forces and that that is their mentality and it's a shame, really. Well, you've only got in so much trouble. You've only got to look at the Iraq War when they went through Iraq like it was they were playing Doom. You know, a million, <laughs> a million Iraqi civilians dead. Mm. Shouldn't be having that in, in, in a Western. God no. In a Western war. No. Should you? Disgusting illegal war, and of course the perpetrators walk free. But I'm, not, actually, society. I'm, I'm just comparing that anyway because mm. I'm just going off topic. They come back, come back. Anyway, I think we'll come back to Waco a second. Yeah. At this point, it's costing the FBI a million pe- million dollars a day. Yeah, <laughs> a taxpayer. They've and got days as well. And they've brought in the Bradley armored fighting vehicles and at least one or two AM60 Abrams main battle tanks. Just to, you know, as a bit of added protection. And the FBI guy in charge admits that that M60, that M Abrams tank. 
M1A1 Abrams tank will just literally go from one end of the compound to the other if he wanted it to, mm. and it would just drive through. Yeah, Full speed, straight through it, it wouldn't stop. Yeah. Well, they use tanks later to do that, don't they? Well, Smash. interestingly, one yeah. of the guys on the negotiation team says, yeah, but we're not going to do that, right? And the next day he gets sent home and he doesn't come back. Uh, mm. Well... So, so far, I think we can say that the ATF have fucked it and the FBI are getting short of ideas. Yeah. We'll continue this in a part two when we'll go through the horrifying finale yeah. to the siege. Mm. So, fuck the facts in the meantime? Still, yes. Yeah. There's still a whole month nearly left. Yeah. <laughs> We're at the end of March. Okay, let's end the show on some fucked up facts. We're back to Waco next week. Team tune, please. Facts, facts, fucked up facts, 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 facts. Can anyone name any venomous spiders? James. Venomous as opposed to poisonous. Yep. So the Black Widow is poisonous, not venomous. It's venomous, isn't it? Is it on the list? Yep. Well, there we go, the Black Widow. <laughs> I love that one. It's on the web. Yeah. Yep. So mine. The red back. Yep. In fact, you can name any spider. The it's a trick question, back. really. All spiders are venomous. Oh, even house spiders. Yes. But most can't open their jaws wide enough to bite humans. Yeah, or have the strength to. Yeah. Use our skin. That's why I kill the fuckers. Can I give a little fucked up fact to add to that? Did you, apparently, the crane fly is one of the most venomous. The deadly long legs. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it has one of the most powerful venoms in it known to man. Except they're just not, they, they haven't got a powerful enough teeth to penetrate our yeah. skin in any way, shape, or form. But, yeah, so. That, that Do you think they've been milking the, the venom from Daddy Longlegs? I don't think they've got and to turn it into a mouth, deadly poison. Is that what it is? God knows. They've got no way of delivering the, the poison of the, the venom. Do they milk it from them to use as poison mm. as a biological agent? Let's try. And sell it to the highest bidder? Yeah, man. I'm on it. In 1423, London Mayor Dick Whittington yep. established a 128-seater toilet that hung over the River Thames. Oh, classy. Dropped straight into the river. Mm-hmm. Ooh, uh, that'd be nice. Kind of better than in the street, though, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, There's a step that. up. Yeah. 1423. Wow, really? So after the plague or during the plague? Just after? I don't know. That was about the plague. No, it was after 15, the plague. I can't after. remember. No, the plague was like 1300s or something. Is it? I think it came back, didn't it? Well, it came back every decade, really. Mm. We'll do the Black Death as an episode one. Maybe for Christmas. Mm. Oh, that'd be a good cheery Christmas one, yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> Still, I like the idea of crapping straight in the river. You can do that on Bangor Pier. The bogs at the end of the pier. I'm sure I saw my turd floating past when I was there. Did you put a little Union Jack in it? <laughs> <laughs> went down. <laughs> but yeah, you, you crap through the wall. There's literally a, a wooden seat with a hole and you crap straight into the, into the seat. No. You're well far out. It's a little bit you can't. I don't think it's from there anyway. Not that you went turd in the face. <laughs> Swing under the pier and it just drops onto you. No! Oh, yuck. Anything, you might get a bit of salt spray on your ass cheeks occasionally. <laughs> if the weather if it's choppy enough, who knows? We've got refreshing. Like a B-Day. Nature's B-Day. 
The very first winner of the prize for the oddest book title of the year was Proceedings of the Second International Workshop on Nude Mice. Okay, though, that's pretty weird. Who the fuck is going to read that? <laughs> who wrote it? What do you mean, who's going to read I'm intrigued. <laughs> How are they nude? Are they just normal? Or do they... Are they shaved? They, are they shaved? That's what I was thinking. Let's read it to me again. Proceedings of the Second International Workshop on Nude Mice. International? An international workshop on nude mice? God, I hope they're not having sex with mice. There's basically one man in America and one man in fucking Japan who both like have a funny thing for nude mice. And they've come up with... That's how they're the international... Uh. <laughs> Makes it sound bigger than it is. I am intrigued, though. <laughs> if SUVs were a country, they would be the sixth most polluting in the world, with annual emissions of almost one billion tonnes of CO2. Well... Yeah, that's kind of obvious, isn't it, though? Yeah, yeah. really. Wouldn't mind shows a how many of them. Just goes to show how many of them there are, isn't it? I'd it's like America, a Hummer, though. It? It's America. Mm. Yeah, but I still want a Hummer. If I could have a Hummer, I'd have a Hummer. Have you seen how big they are in yeah. life? Ridiculous. They are stupid, aren't they? And they, they do probably like... could just fit on our roads, Ben. I know, but LA's would it be? You'd have to move to America. I can't use them my... I suppose I'll wide other roads and I'm in charge. I've, I've often dreamt of, dreamt of eight miles per gallon. <laughs> when it costs nearly, well, £1.70 nearly for a fucking litre. I think on Top Gear, when Hammond floored it and got it to about 60, it was doing about two miles to the gallon. Shit. Ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, There's when I lived in Saudi, we had a, a V8 fucking seven litre beastie Chevy Blazer that was an absolute monster but petrol was you're living in the land of petrol (laughs) petrol was ooh the land of petrol it was (laughs) 33.3 halalas per litre and at the time what's a halala Uh, that's that's an equivalent like penny to a real so So 33 pence but a real was only worth 17p anyway so it's about third of 17p whatever that is wow 6p 6p a litre it would have been so you didn't give a shit how many miles to the gallon it did because they had big old fucking petrol tanks anyway, and you could just you could li- it was literally like ten a penny kind of thing. Yeah, it was yeah. Stupid. Well, it's the land of petrol, isn't it? Yeah. Make, that's where they make it. It's gonna be cheaper there than anywhere. Yeah. Do you have a couple more? Go on then. Lockdowns in 2020 were identifiable on seismologist sensors. Because humans stop making the earth wobble so much by moving about. Yeah, Ace. Never. Mm. Mad, isn't it? I like that. Also, look how little it rained. I reckon there's a there's a definite link with industry and rain, isn't there? We did have that 30 degree heat. Heat wave, didn't we? Well, it literally like, I was on furlough, it was fucking amazing. It didn't rain for like three fucking months. Yeah, it didn't. No, it was like... From like Beginning of lockdown, for fuck's sake. It's the pinkest of like June. It barely rained at all. And we had heat wave upon heat wave. It was glorious weather. Every fucker was at home enjoying it, getting paid. Oh, yeah. I was working my tits off, not enjoying it. You're a hero, P. Mm. Is that what you want me to say? Yeah, but I was also a hero for enjoying furlough. Never fucking, never him. got anything for being a hero, though. We clapped for you. Yeah, thanks. Really appreciated that clap. Yeah. I bet you did. I bet it really lifted your spirits. 
As you were driving along? I feel for you, mate. It was bullshit. You were left to... I had no fucking... Body. I had no yeah. PPE. No nothing, mate. I was... I, I, we were all petrified at that point. Because it bet. was so fucking scary. The way it was being portrayed. And and we were getting little notes on our fucking deliveries. I was having to deliver shopping to people's houses. And we were getting little notes on the doorways. Like, we've got COVID. And you'd be like, oh, shit. Have they touched the door? Oh, no, I've just touched the door. I've just dinged on the door. But, oh, no, I've touched the gate. Oh, shit. <laughs> it was you mean they hadn't painted a red cross on the <laughs> door in true vintage fashion? No, yeah. no I did. I'm slightly disappointed. I did. Yeah. I, had a, I had a paint can with me, so when I had that, I'd, I'd quickly do a big red cross on the door. Just to make sure all the neighbours knew. <laughs> I made a fortune going round with a car. <laughs> I didn't really, that's terrible. It's a terrible thing to say, I apologise. <laughs> it's family name, isn't it? You can guarantee that's how my family got, no, got his last name. Mm. You can guarantee we were the dudes becoming, <laughs> being the opportunists during the Black Collect Death. Collect your dead! Bring out your dead! Yeah. Bring out your dead! We've got all the cars, we're making a fucking killing. Yep. Yeah. And Carter's. Yeah. yeah. Crafty, <laughs> sensible, <laughs> opportunists. Moving on. Okay, and finally, in 1606, Viennese goldsmiths created a golden mechanical robot of Diana riding a centaur Ooh. that moved randomly around a table before firing its arrow at someone who then had to finish their drink. Oh, That's fantastic. It's nice. <laughs> amazing, isn't it? Old school drinking games. <laughs> with a golden statue of yeah. a centaur with a bone of a naked chick. It's quite cool. Yeah. That, that was one. exquisite. Yeah. I want one. So do I. Why isn't that available to mm. buy? You know what you're getting me for my birthday this year, guys. Yeah. <laughs> chip in. But you know some gimmick in a pub, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll have to go to buy Strongbow. <laughs> <laughs> the arrow in it. There you go, Strongbow executives. Get on don't, it. don't copyright it, you fucking. I'll take it off you and not need any money. I wish that the pod's going to grow. <laughs> and on that note, let's end the show. You can follow us on Facebook at Cunt the Ball in the Post Truth Apocalypse, YouTube at Apocalypse Ball, and SoundCloud and most other podcasting platforms as Cutting for the Ball in the PTA. I've been Ben. And I'm going to say, don't do the frame raid, don't join the cult, and don't live anywhere where you can't fuck your wife. I mean, Mike, thanks for listening. Peace out. May the force be with you. I've been Claire. Keep an open mind, but not so open that it spills out your ears. And I've been Pete. Hope you all have a nice week. Adios, amigos.